and codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. listening to part two of Priority One Podcast's interview with Star Trek Online lead designer Al, Captain Gecko Rivera. Don't miss future episodes and interviews with Star Trek notables and cryptic developers by subscribing to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. I want to ask you something about season eight. You know, in the blog, you know, it was joked that you had said in a meeting, I want dinosaurs with freaking laser beams attached to their heads because it's a game. And this this might be a little bit more of a personal question. You know, people have been knocking JJ's Star Trek because, oh, my immersion, you know, with Star Trek. Do you feel like you kind of understand a little bit his, his shoes? You know, he's making a movie, not just for Trek fans, but for theater goers. And you're making a game that's not just for Trek fans, but also for MMO players. Do you kind of do you relate a little bit to, to when you read feedback about the movies? You kind of think, wow, JJ... I know how you feel. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what the hell JJ feels. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get caught in that trap. I have no idea what he's thinking. Absolutely not. So I'm glad you asked that question, though. And it's an interesting way, an interesting way that you put it. And I'm personally offended that you would compare me to JJ. But, um... Oh, Elijah. He was trying so nice to be diplomatic, too. I could hear the diplomacy just sort of flowing around. It was a good try. It was a good try. It was a nice yeah, try. It was good. Words, man. JJ and Al in the same sentence. I don't think I could have done better. I'll first address the JJ in general, and and I did talk a little bit about this on I think on Trek FM, um, and what my you know what do I think about about JJ and, and I work with CBS. I'm in the same I'm on the same team. It's, it's easy to poke fun, but uh, you know I think that however you slice it, that JJ Abrams did revitalize the franchise or did bring fresh life into the franchise. I think that. It is, it is completely measurable from as far as how much money the movies made, how much how much more people are watching, say, Star Trek on, on Netflix. Uh, the popularity is, is there. Um, and I, if I look at, when I watch the movies, I, and, and if I just put the little blinders on and just watch it, I enjoy the movie. They're a fun movie. They're good movies. They're, they're great summer hits. When I take the blinders off and I look at it as a Star Trek fan, it doesn't, it's not my Star Trek. And even some of the actors have said the same thing. I know that, I know that LeVar Burton has come out vocally and said the same thing. There's really not a Roddenberry Star Trek. And if you look, if you get really nitpicky with the, with the science, it's like, how can you, you can't transport to Quonos. You can't warp to Quonos in 12 hours or you can't do those things. You can't resurrect someone with a triple it's now you've just solved you know so you, you start you start messing the, the it starts stepping on the lines of the pseudoscience and 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 so it's like this really isn't doesn't feel like my trek so um but then you're just not going to enjoy it and you just and, and i don't go to a movie to not enjoy it i go to one to enjoy it and so i was like okay yeah can wave it just kind of put it aside i still enjoyed the movie there are things that I did that offended as a Trek fan, as a Roddenberry fan. But if I took the word, but, but I still thought it was still in itself, in its contained universe, was still enjoyable. And I look forward to the third one, and even you know, and he's not involved in it in as much. I don't really understand what his involvement is at this point, but I'm sure it'll still be an enjoyable movie. And I'm sure everyone who says they don't like it are still going to go see it anyway because it's Star Trek, and or we should see it be twice. Yeah, and we, or twice or three times. And we should be supporting the franchise because no matter what, it really has enabled CBS and Paramount to make more Star Trek. Uh, and, that's, and, and that's always a good thing. As far as dinosaurs in, in, in Star Trek, um, whether or not that is a... It, was that a JJ move? And I love talking about it because whether or not you said, oh, you know, Cryptic Jump the Shark, whatever. Now, you've got a lot of really polarized opinions right now in the forums about whether or not it's cool or whether or not it's not. Um, the first thing I'll say is that um, just, there's sometimes this argument that if it wasn't on the show, it's not canon, and though, and so it's 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 it shouldn't be in the game. And and I, I think that's I think number one, I think that's ridiculous. We've even gotten those arguments early on with certain ship designs that we've done 
or other aliens or other other things that we've had to do to expand upon um, the IP in order to make it uh, enjoyable in the game, like whether, and so you'll get that. Oh, it's just, this is not a Star Trek ship. Federation would never fly a Jem'Hadar ship. Well, you know what? They they did. They did in one of the episodes. They did fly a Jem'Hadar ship. You know, Captain Kirk did fly a Klingon ship, and Captain Sisko did fly a Jem'Hadar ship. And so there are times when they fly alien ships. And so yeah, I'm sick of seeing these alien ships in Starfleet. And says, well, don't fly one if you don't like it. That's why you know pump players do and. They can roleplay it that way. If it's just a min-maxing thing they want to do, they can play it that way. The fact is that there are, there are instances like that where certain races flew other alien ships. I mean, uh, Goldacott flew a Klingon ship, and then he flew a freighter for a while that he had modified. And so he, uh, everybody, it's happened, and there's precedence in the IP. Now, back to the dinosaurs. I didn't invent the Voth. Voyager invented the Voth, okay? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't invent the storyline about... A race of people descended from hadrosaurs, who are duck-billed dinosaurs, if people don't know what a hadrosaur is, or at least a type of duck-billed dinosaur, or the other way around. I'm, I'm not a paleontologist. I don't know the exact science. And so these were people that were descended from hadrosaurs, hadrosaurs that lived on Earth, and that, and that before the Great Cataclysm, presumably the comet that destroyed the dinosaurs, they left the planet and took off to find a new world. We don't know what happened in between there, because that's the whole point of the Voss story, is that... You've kind of erased that from their history because they are not immigrants, they say. They've erased that, but the proof is that they came from Earth and that they were dinosaurs. Every science fiction movie I've seen where people have left Earth, they always take a DNA database with them, right? Whether they take the animals with them or they take the DNA with them. And so I have no qualms, have no doubt that if this race of dinosaur people left Earth, that they took some dinosaur DNA or dinosaurs with them. And I kind of assume that, you know, you know, those hadrosaur people left Earth um, and made it all the way to the Delta Quadrant. I don't think they flew at warp or at real time. They probably went into some sort of suspended animation, kind of like what happened in, uh, in Stargate Universe, and then woke up in the Delta Quadrant when the new capital world was found. And that might have been, you know, how many, how many, uh, uh, how many... Somebody will do the math. Some, some type, some, some distance of time. We don't know what type of space travel they had at that time. Maybe they didn't even have warp travel at the time. So it could have been billions of years. So as far as, like, how, how advanced these people are compared to the Delta in time from when their society started to, from where the, uh, where humans became, you know, they, they, they may not be actually billions of years old. We don't know. They weren't, the exact, the amount of time that they've had for to develop, we don't know. I kind of think that they kind of went, I see that they went in maybe either low warp or sub warp ships and then woke up in the Delta Quadrant how many millions or billions of years later. Uh, I'm not going to kind of pin down the time. But the idea that they have, that they would have dinosaurs, I think, is, you know, or other animals of their era would makes perfect sense to me. Uh, would be actually makes perfect, it doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't bring an entire biosphere with them. Um, if they need to relocate their society, their, their entire civilization, their entire world, they would bring their plants, they'd bring their food, they'd bring their animals. You'd need kind an like, ark to kind rebuild. Like colonizing, an e- right? Yes, you'd need an ark to rebuild an ecosystem. So, of course, sure. they would have those with them. Now, the, uh, to this day, we still use dogs and horses and dolphins and who knows what else in our policing and warfare. We still do. And I've heard it's like, oh, this is like losing gorillas. No, it's not like, it's not like the, it's the difference between a hadrosaur and another dinosaur could be something as, 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 as far apart evolutionary as a human and a horse. Just, it's not that sure. I would use their previous ancestors, use a monkey in war. Uh, you would use a beast of burden. You would use a subservient animal that you could control. Um, so the idea that they may have pet or war animals is completely uh, within the grass. Now, why are we doing it? Because it should be cool. Um, we're also, I mean, yes, I'll go back to the game part argument that I, that I said in that, yeah, it's, it's um, we're getting to level 50, you know, we're in level 50 and, and players have been playing all these against these bad guys. If this was a fantasy game, every time we'd give you the new piece of content, we'd give you something bigger and badder and scary. We'd give you a demon, we'd give you giants, we'd give you dragons, we'd give you monsters and, and, and powerful witches and we'd keep, you, you want to keep escalating the coolness and the wowness and the, and the powerfulness of the bad guys. And in Star Trek, most of the time the bad, next bad guy in the IP is some guy with another you know, smudge of silicon on his head, on his forehead or something. And, <laughs> and now with extra bumpy ridges. Yes. And that that's, makes good story, 
And certainly because there's an anthropomorphization there and that you can relate to that. And the makeup department only has a big budget. I mean, it's only so big. It's only so big. And so, um, you know, as a video game, you know, I think if I just threw in more, more bad guys, if we keep throwing in bad guys that just look, that are just some other biped, I think it starts getting a little, um, feels anticlimactic. You want that threat to be huge, right. to be, and I don't necessarily mean physically huge, but just have some, wow, that's terrifying, but that, that looks hurt. powerful. Right, and that doesn't hurt. Um, <laughs> no, but it should feel powerful the next thing. I mean, that's what the Tholians did, right? The Tholians, uh, they're like, oh my God, that's impressive, right? That's that's huge. The big exosilicon um, scoop. Yeah, yeah the big so that's that's stand, like, yeah. that's a real threat, and that's something that's worthy of my of my character who's already defeated, you know, Ron. body counts pretty Klingons. staggering at this point. Yeah, so my other argument for this is, is what the hell? Are you kidding me? You're telling me that in this... Star Trek universe of Explore Strange New Worlds, that really a race of dinosaur people is completely unheard of to have dinosaurs as Mets, when you can have in Star Trek universe, oh, I don't know, a planet that has the Wonderland rabbit in it, a planet that has Space Lincoln, a planet that has Apollo, or an entire planet of gangsters who, you know, of 20s gangsters, an entire planet this, of Nazis yeah. and This is where the, the, you get the Picard thing. The line must be drawn. <laughs> dinosaurs <laughs> with lasers. That's, that's yeah, it. Like, that's somehow that is not is too far <laughs> is completely absurd to me considering <laughs> what Star Trek continues to do. I mean, you got an episode where Picard is having tea with his grandmother, right? In outer mm-hmm. space. There's, there's, a, there's a planet that has just one hotel in it and nothing else. The entire planet is black when you beam down there. And, they had, and it was all based on some book that was found from, some, from an astronaut. Crazy happens in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen. If you look at the, um, you know, in, in the animated series, there were giant six-foot-tall tribbles. There was a planet of plant people, the Phylosians, that were basically treants. Um, so the, these uh, there is they're in in the animated series. They go to a planet of they go to a or a dimension of Oberon, where it's basically a Midsummer Night's Dream world, where there's Pan and there's and there's spirits and there, there's pixies and and all those kind of what's the word Fey, all the Fey worlds. So it's like it's it's the idea that dinosaurs would never happen is ridiculous is a ridiculous statement to me in the world of Star Trek. Uh, especially since the canon has already established some sort of background to it. And yes, I'm trying to make the game fun. And so we look for things within the IP that we can say, yeah, we can take that and make and take that to 11 and make it a little bit and make it fun because uh, I think that you could see that there. I mean, I can't take seriously the fact that that is just that's just jumping the shark when you can have um, uh, 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 the little white rabbit from from Wonderland. In uh, in Star Trek, or you can have Abraham Lincoln, or you can have a midget riding Kirk. And if you don't know what that happened, it happened. There was a little <laughs> midget who read who rode Kirk hey, while, man. He, while he acted like a horse. That hey man, it was happen. the '60s, man. man. <laughs> it was the '60s, man. All right, I just I want to clarify why I asked that question. It is one because I. I'm thoroughly looking forward to getting down on the ground and fighting massive dinosaurs with freaking laser beams on their head. I said that last week. I'm really excited about this. This is probably the first time in a long time that I've been excited to get down on the ground and do a ground mission. Um, and I know a lot of people are, and that's why we're doing it, because it's going to be exciting. Those dinosaurs and those mechs are really cool, and they allowed us to do things that didn't make sense for a guy with a spoon on their head to do. I'm not just calling out all spoonheads and the generalization that's kind of racist, but it was kind of a metaphor for, for for cheap silicon masks. So is this the first step in the future of new ground combat? You know, I know that some people feel that ground combat has been a little underdeveloped in, in the last several months. Is this is this a move in that direction to get more people on the ground, get more boots on the ground and, and do these events? I don't know if it's necessarily a movement or a, chair or a uh, crystal ball into the future of ground combat. Honestly, there was no subtext in that. The, the reasons for doing it is like we first started, do we want to do another Adventure Zone like New Romulus? That was really popular. 
says, yeah, let's do that, but let's do that with a little more combat. Let's make it more a little more traditional MMO. And it's like, let's let's how about if we do a little bit more League of Legends style, territory control style kind of gameplay, and let's kind of kick it up a notch. And it was a little bit more a little more organic than than premeditated. So so it just and it, we just found something that we thought was fun. Um, one of the side effects of it is like, oh yeah, this is great kind of territory tech control technology that we could use for PvP in the future. Um, uh, and so that that gives us that that trick in the back pocket. I do think that you know we've done now three ground adventure zones. We've done the Defera ground invasion. We've done well, actually four. We've got Nukara uh, with the Tholians, and we've got New Romulus. And this one is the most advanced, and I think the most fun um, to come out. And so. Um, I, uh, I I think it's an absolute blast, and it's it's uh, it's 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 high action, and and there's a lot of strategy involved. We as developers, the game, what you know, you asked me the question: Is this a way to come? I don't know. We we follow the players. What the players like, we give them more of. So that's that's uh, it's not like I'm going to force you to play ground combat because we want you to play ground combat more we uh, we know people played a lot of new Romulus so here here's something a little better than new Romulus uh, here's something a little more action oriented a little more a little and, and we know people want to play PvP so here let's let's try it let's try it here at PvE for us a little safer and uh, if people like it and if people like the new space adventure zone then we'll do more of those if they really like it then we'll do more of what they like. Now, how difficult is it to create these ground combat animations? You know, I, I remember first seeing the changeling attack me. That was really, really cool. And now in the dev blogs, they were talking about how one of the one of the little scout dinosaurs will actually be able to like to jump onto you and attack you and, and, and pin you down to the ground. How difficult is that mechanic? Can we see more of that? Um, custom animations are really, really hard. The, 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 but the dinosaur that jumps on you and mauls you is actually not any different than the Mugatu that will jump on you and maul you. It. So, so it's basically that's 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 the same thing. So that's that's uh, that's that's uh, that wasn't too hard, except that it had to be redone because it's a new rig. We call them they call them rigs or skeletons that the that the I I, I don't know all the exact terminology that the animators use, but. Um, and when I say animators, I'll, I'll clarify my terms. We always say artists, and people say animators, animations. Um, anything that's sparkly on the screen, like some, like a photon torpedo or a beam, that's not animation. That's that's effects. That's that's. This is kind of like what's the difference between systems and, con- and content. So sparkly stuff, lights on the screen, is effects. Um, the uh, some. Uh, Character models, you know, the, you know, the characters themselves, the dinosaurs, are made by the character artists. They just sculpt the clay of the skin of that guy, and then what makes them move? There's a skeleton inside there, and that's done entirely by the animators. So when I say animation, animators, I'm talking strictly about skeleton movement, not not sparkly, pretty effects. I'm um, just making sure we have our uh, clear on the same page of of uh, my terms. So when we do the, the, the dinosaurs, it's actually quite easy to do, it's actually quite easy to make monsters, uh, to make whatever we want to do, uh, sculpt them, you know, as far as the character art is concerned. But the animation is really expensive to, to, to get the movement right. It's hard, it's a, lar- it's a large investment, and um, and every time you do that, you have this, there's so much Every type, every move they do has to be added. So, for instance, if you stun somebody with a phaser or uh, or control them with mind control or whatever, they animate in a certain way. So, all of those things that happen when you shoot someone, they get knocked down, and you sh- or uh, or they float in the air from the um, from the Davidian staff. All of those animations then have to be redone for the new skeleton for the new rig. Uh, so, so. So it's not just a matter of having the dino walk and bite, or or the mech, or whatever, or a tholian, for instance. That you know, the the that rig for that one was special. Um, you have to rebuild all the animations, and then you've just basically geometrically increased your support for. If we add a new thing that say you know you know that that makes you choke like Darth Vader Darth Vader would choke you we'd have to then add add that to all the different rigs in game the human rig this 
the little scorpion rig that's like the scorpion and then the, the spider rig and the tholian rig and the dino rig so you just keep increasing your work load geometrically every time you add a new one so um, it is very expensive to to build that to build that sort of stuff um, so it's why it doesn't happen that often it's also why sometimes you'll see the same rig kind of reused in a weird way and sometimes maybe you haven't even noticed I mean for instance the targ rig is exactly the same as the epo rig exactly the same skeleton rig um, and I think the, uh, the the spider rig is I think the spider rig that's like those little like ice spiders and different different spiders that exist in the game might be the same rig that's on the scorpion but uh, you just don't see the tail on the spiders it's just not there's no there's nothing clay sculpted on the tail so it's actually they're animating you just never see it so so they try to reuse the same rigs as much as possible um, and uh, so that way they don't have to redo all the animations, death animations, hold animations, gun animations, knock animations, hit animations from certain guns and stuff. So it's very expensive, but uh, for me it's fun because I don't have to do the work, but I just need to tell, hey, this is going to be cool, do this, and it's all right. <laughs> and that's really what all the players care about, right? So, was that, I don't even know what your question was. Did I answer your question? Uh, I called you JJ. I don't know. <laughs> 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 it's all right. <laughs> Uh, no, I honestly, I said that with with nothing but the most sincere intention. Because it's, you know, why I asked we, that question because I was listening to the Bob Orsi um, interview on Mission Log, and how he was talking about you know creating you know having the reins for Star, for Star Trek right now on, on film, and so it just got me thinking. I was like, wow, I wonder, I wonder if that's how Al and the rest of the team feel, you know, working on Star Trek. So it's almost like an added appreciation for the the work that you guys do, the responsibility that you have, not just as as game developers, but as contributors to Star Trek: The Universe. It, 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 I mean, in general, as as a general question, as a general thought, it, you're you're absolutely correct. It's uh, it is a it is a huge responsibility. It is something that over the last five or six years that. We have earned a lot of uh, trust and respect from CBS, uh, working with them, that they really trust us implicitly at this point, that, um, you know, to constantly honor the IP. And there are so many things that I shoot down that people want to do in the games. Like, no, you can't do that. It's not Star Trek. Federation, Federation wouldn't do that. There was talk one time, for instance, about, you know, how you can put trophies in your, in your ship interior, right? Mm-hmm. That you can, you know, if you defeat the Doomsday Machine, you get Doomsday. You can get a little Doomsday Machine trophy in your ship interior. Well, somebody wanted to make a uh, once you defeat the Changeling that you'd get a Changeling in a glass tank, like a basically uh, a Changeling lava lamp, right? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, and it like yeah. kept coming up, and I'm like, no, guys, I don't. The Federation would not put a sentient life form on display as a trophy. In their bridge, that's do the mirror universe shard. Do a mirror universe shard, and you have a changing lava lamp on the mirror universe shard. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sure, that would make sense in the mirror universe. So, so there are things that sometimes people think are good ideas, and they sound fun, and they're funny to talk about. It's like, no, I put the kibosh on a lot of things like that, and that's like what people like me and Christine, who are really lore keepers. really make sure that 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 stuff doesn't happen and and to be clear i mean that's probably one of the big things that's difference between say maybe me and 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 jj is that i mean jj has publicly admitted that he is just was never was a star trek fan and never got it and since i was i don't know five six seven years old i've been a diehard star trek fan um and so and 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 no and and was have watched everything oh many many times before ever even working on the uh on the franchise and so I'm sure that a lot of people don't always agree with my decisions or the things that you know, things that we create, but um, I, I can I can guarantee you that it's coming from a place of love and respect for the for the for the, for the franchise and for the IP, and and if anyone ever doubted my 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 Star Trek nerdiness, you just just watch the wedding video. It's just uh, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the door chime that my head kept hitting. Yes, if anyone doesn't always talk about the door chime, there's the TOS door chime you can get it from uh, from ThinkGeek, and you, it's got a little infrared detector. You walk past the uh, door, and it makes this TOS sound as you walk through. So I have that on my office door whenever someone walks in. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, Season 8. Um, during the break, we had mentioned that not everybody uh, has been able to get onto Tribble and experience uh, what's on there now. Can you talk to us a little bit about Season 8? What can players expect? What's 
the premise of the story, whatever, what you can divulge. Um, talk to us about it. Season 8 is going to bring a lot of very new gameplay to, uh, to Star Trek Online. So we probably wouldn't do this again as far as, our, as, far as the, the, the toll it's taken on the team as far as basically three brand new... Three, three oh. things. Three things. Yeah, you said that the last time. Did you I say that, that the last time? With Legacy of Romulus. But well, Legacy of Romulus was huge. Yeah. 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 Right yeah. Now, well, we're just all worn out. This it's next brutal. You kind of halfway. You know. Don't expect. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. That's how much we love you guys. That's how much we just want to keep just making better and just and just and make better and better stuff for the users every time. And we just like, ah, oh, we could do it. We can do it. We just everyone was just gung ho. But it was. I mean, we really did kind of do. I mean, also Legacy Romulus was, what is it, six, I can't remember how long it was, six or eight months of development. This was, you know, more of a, this was a much smaller development cycle, three or four months. And so we've got three things that we consider are very R&D style projects, R&D style gameplays, things that we haven't really done before. So the, so the first one that, that I've talked about a little already was the, uh, was the, uh, is the battle zone, right? And so in the ground battle zone, which is on Tribble right now, we first wanted to build a ground adventure zone, and then we decided let's let's kind of make it a little bit more a little a little make it more objective based. And so, if once you go down there, you'll get a little tutorial. Um, but even but hopefully, it still should be pretty clear as you go out in the adventure zone. There's a lot of UI elements that are pointing at things that you need to do. But basically, there's all these capture points, and the different capture points have different. Uh, there's like three different types of capture points within the zone. There's there's a there's basically a, a King of the Hill style one that's that's pretty straightforward, and then there's um, and then there's these giant uh, artillery turrets that the Voth have placed, and you have these little stations that you have to interact with, and then the a little piston will move down, and once you get it down to the bottom, it'll start charging back up, and you have that much time to go around and deactivate all the other pistons, and that will deactivate that that uh, that artillery piece while you're while doing that while you're fighting off the, the Voth who are continuing to coming in. And then there's one that's uh, this uh, power converter. I can't remember the, the, the fictional thing behind it, but basically there's this little kind of sled that you're trying to move this sled into position to, to, uh, to power up this, uh, this one, this, this generator. And, um, and you, go, you go from one station and it moves it over a few feet, and then you have to go to the next station and moves over a few feet. So you have to keep uh, interacting with this one station while the Devoth are trying to stop you from doing that and they're trying to push it back. And then there's teleport locations and there's a number of other little, there's lots of little things that will activate some automated defenses from, this is all taking place inside the interior, the, the interior surface of the Dyson Sphere. There's all these kind of more traditional FPS style power-ups you can run over and pick up and give you and give you certain abilities, run speed buffs, damage buffs, Ooh, things like that. That's cool. So there's just little little stations that will kind of like quad damage, right? Like old school, uh, like de- you know, deathmatch quad damage things you can roll over and pick up. Um, the speed buff thing, it makes you walk funny. Yeah, that's getting fixed. That's, oh. We know about that one. That's just hasn't the yeah, it's There's some little funny animation stuff broken with that. You, I'm sorry. Do you have to interact with these things, or you just kind of walk over it and? No, no those, those kind of buffs are just well, they're just they're just like old stu- old okay. school first person shooter. A little you'll you'll see where they're at. There's this little platform and red X or yeah. cross or shield or something. Yeah, blue yeah. So it's 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 more FPS action based. You roll over and pick that up. Um, then there's. Um, when you take a point in the battle zone, there's a big meter on the right that shows you your progress to taking over the entire battle zone. And when you take one over, some NPCs will, will come down and they will, they will help defend that position. And then every time you're, as you do actions in the battle zone, you start earning these, these coins. And they're temporary coins. They, 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 they only, you can't keep them forever. They will, um, they will decay. But you can use them to buy more reinforcements to defend the particular point. So you can you because after a while the Voth will come back and try to take that point back, and on the map you can see which points are being taken over, which are owned by the by the Alliance, and which are owned by the Voth, and which are, are which are currently being fought over. Um, and so you need to take over um, a certain number of points before the boss fight starts. And that is in each position there are three bosses that will appear uh, at the same time. There'll be three of them appear, and you have to take down each one of them. So you really need to split up. So everyone goes to a different boss, and for every one you kill, you get additional rewards. In this case, for the boss, you get those Voth cybernetic implants, which is what you need to get the endgame gear in the reputation. So 
Um, it's a really, it's a really fun and interesting. And there's a number of dailies that you can do along the way. That and all every time you're doing something, you're earning, you're earning more, you're earning marks for yourself. So you don't have to complete the entire battle zone in order to earn Gloth marks. You're, for every action, every every capture point you make, and everything you do, you'll earn your earn mark. So it's a, a fun little zone. That's something you know we haven't really done before. That that kind of territory control um, with capture points. That's one. Are there any questions about that before I talk about the other the other zones? Well, one thing I was kind of curious about on the on the territory control. So these the, the where you can find out if there's something under attack. You say you take a point, but then the bots will eventually come after try to take it back. Is that a, is that on your mini map? Will you get a like? Yeah, if you look, prompt? yeah, yeah, on your mini map, you'll see there's a, the, the the map isn't completely done. So eventually there'll be a key, you know, a map legend to tell you what all the symbols mean. But that's that's coming soon, um, and you'll be able and you can see. The different colors on the maps and the different regions that are that are that you have control over change if they're under if they're under your control their control or if they're under attack. Um, they and, and also if you look at them from a distance, there's a big icon reticle over those particular points, and you can see um, what status they're under as well. As I was running through there, I, I noticed the big symbols up, up above. It's kind of hard from uh, the ground perspective, though. You kind of have to like aim your screen up in the sky to, to see those. And there's a, I mean, there's 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 a lot of cool environment art, but that kind of gets in the way of step two. Have you guys given any consideration to maybe like some sort of flash or prompt on the screen, kind of like the the red alert in space? You know, you get that low priority interaction down the corner of a red alert. The board tell you that a, to, to tell you that a particular place is under attack. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think we've given that some consideration. I mean, it's basically kind of what the. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of time tuning that we still need to do as far as inter- warning you that a particular place is under attack. But it, I mean, places are always going to be under attack constantly, so that might be going off all the time. Um, but if you bring up the the the, I, I think what might be annoying us is that you know capture points under attack, capture points under attack, capture points under attack. I could see that being quite quite annoying, but you'll have to, you'll have to. Uh, um, you know, be checking the mini map. But this, the reticles in the air are, are there for stuff that are nearby. That kind of oh, you, this is it's over there, and you know what kind of oh, that happens to be a artillery piece over there, and so you know which one to to what's going what you can expect over there. Really, if you're looking at the mini map or the whole overview map, it's going to give you far more information that you need about where you need to go. You're gonna need a general on your team to sort of like go. Okay, the big picture is. Yes, if you have. It would be very helpful if people are start organizing and start saying that yeah, this this point you know. Section Alpha, Grid 32, whatever, blah, 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 is under attack. We need to get people there. And so I'm sure that, you know, this is our first kind of time that we've done something like this in Star Trek Online. So we'll, I'm sure we'll continue to refine it. And so the more people we get playing it on, on Tribble, giving those sort of, that kind of feedback, which is a great one. You can see what we can do to, uh, to address that. But uh, it's, it's really fun. It's very different. And, you, and by the way, you get to bring two bridge officers with you to, to this. Um, and it's not recommended that you kind of go off adventuring by yourself. Uh, it's, it's, you can. Um, but and I, I've gone out and I've I've captured I've I've tried to capture a point by myself. I've never been able to capture a point by myself, at least on the test servers internally. But uh, because by the time you capture part of it, the other side has been recaptured. Um, but uh, you can survive. Uh, it's certainly but but you really want to go off with a couple of people. And the interesting thing we've done with the UI is that if you, you can still team with five people, but now we're, but everybody still keeps their two bridge officers. So in in other PVE content. When you team with someone, you can only ever have five on your team, and if you've got bridge officers, they, they drop off. But you can actually have five players, each player having two bridge officers each. And so it's too many people to put in the UI, so when you join with other players, you only see the captains and your bridge officers. You won't see your, your, you won't see your allies' bridge officers in that, U, in that UI, because it would get too crowded, because one team is actually 15 entities, right? Has there been any development uh, or mechanics added to UI that um, that is really going to like shine on this this type of uh, gameplay? There's the UI I just talked about. I'm sorry, not UI, AI, AI. That's what I meant. Sorry. AI, um, AI wise, there's uh, when we say AI, this is again one of those internal terms. Is there whether there was no specific new AI technologies made, but there is AI insofar as is when you're when you capture points about whether or not when the Voth come in, how they reattack and how the and how the defenders will defend a particular point. Um, I don't know if there's anything really kind of bizarre or crazy with uh, that anyone is doing other than how the Voth react to try to recapture points and they'll go up to the consoles and start interacting with the consoles and you gotta stop them from doing basically what you were doing. 
uh, but in reverse. And so you're you're fighting with them that way. So they're they're kind of they're trying to do exactly what you're doing, but um, they don't necessarily mean to try to oversell it. But um, there is nothing really too bizarre about that. It's all pretty pretty standard stuff that we've had access to in the past. You see some of that in, for instance, in um, Legacy of Romulus, one of the episodes there, where you're where you go when you get to uh, yeah, the uh, to the Hope Planet on Hobus in the Hobus system where. The Remans are trying to take over a, a station that you've just that you've just taken over, and they, uh, if you've gotten to that mission, we've, we've done similar things like that before. I have another question, and this is something that we've been discussing uh, over the last few episodes of Priority One about the feeling of the Holy Trinity uh, in, in MMOs in Season Eight, and whether ground or space. I know that the addition to the comma, the addition of the comma race to, to the battlecruisers kind of lends more towards that direction. What are your thoughts about the Holy Trinity, so to speak, and its current state of the game in Star Trek Online? Well, I remember you talking a little bit about this in some of your other podcasts. Um, when we first made Star Trek Online, I think there was there was a decision, whether it was conscious or subconscious, to actually kind of steer away from the Holy Trinity a little bit. And one of the things, for instance, we noticed when we were working on City of Heroes is that City of Heroes had more traditional Holy Trinity, right? You had DPS guys, you had tankers, you had controllers, and um, and you had buffer support classes, and and then and so as, a, as individuals, there were uh, the individual classes in there were were hyper specialized and had really significant flaws and weaknesses, right? They had, there were blasters were really good. at at damage, but were really fragile, and the tankers were really tanky, but they, their damage was really slow, and the controllers would just lock things down, but they couldn't kill things for crap, so they're really hyper-specialized. When we made City of Villains, we kind of made them a little more rounded, um, a little more self-sustaining, and the interesting thing that we found from that is that solo play villains were far more effective than the heroes, but in team play, Heroes were far more effective than villains, um, and uh, that that was just kind of the the confluence of the way that that way that kind of worked out. When we worked on city, uh, on on Star Trek, even though this is an MMO and all our games that we've made are MMOs, the reality is that most people, large majority of the people, play our games solo. We wanted to make characters, whether on the ground or in space, a little more well-rounded, that everyone could do a little bit of everything and be a little more... Now, whether or not that was the right decision or not is, is, is not necessarily going to defend it. I think it still works really well. But it does basically kind of... It's counter to this, the, the, the standard MMO trope of the trinity of tank, DPS, and support. So, I mean, if you notice, you know, like a, an engineer is can do DPS, can do tanky, can do controlling, and everyone can do a little bit of everything. The same thing with the ships. I mean, the whole idea of the ship's design is that you have access to all the powers, most of them, but you're you specialized a little bit more in one thing. And we, and even though some people tend to think that, oh, I'm a tactical officer, I should fly an escort, it's sometimes it's, that's always just pure presumption. You don't have to be a tactical officer in an escort or a science officer in a science vessel. It doesn't, there's, there, there's no design that favors you to do that. In fact, I prefer mixing it up. I prefer an engineer and a tactical vessel, so that way I have some more defensive capabilities within my tactical vessel, as opposed to hyper-specializing one way or the other. But what, what's happened over the years, right, is that is that um, there's some popularity um, toward... There's presumed... I'll say even go so far as presumed popularity toward GPS. And if you play some high-end elite EVEQs, or PvP, um, there, there, there is a tendency for people playing just the DPS, like the escorts. If you take a general survey of the community, more people actually play cruisers. There are more cruisers in the game than there are es- than there are escorts, or at least active cruisers than there are ac- than there are escorts. Probably because it's the more recognizable IP-wise. Um, it's just that's the enterprise. That's what most people play. Um, but most of the more advanced hardcore players, the raiders, the PvPers, tend to go towards escorts, and because they are super spiky damage, I get it. Everyone gets it. It's not they're, so they're really they're they're really good at doing that, and they can tear through things really quickly if you build right. But you have to build right, and that takes some player skill to know how to make your build right. Um, so obviously, we want to continue to uh, make the game more and more balanced, and so that way all the sh- different classes have a role in the game, and um, 
it's there's you know when you look at it generally for starting this from scratch i mean we could make cruisers more tanky um give them more damage resistance or um, realistically what i would love to do is is reduce the damage potential imp output of escorts i just don't think that would be a very popular thing to do um i think there'd be a lot of rage if we did although i do think that is something that we should do i doubt that we would we would do it and if we did we'd have to be very smart about it um so, so what we're trying to do is trying to make all the classes have something that is tactically or at least strategically interesting gameplay-wise, so that way there's some sort of tactical advantage thing that you can bring to the table that isn't just more DPS. Um, and so the, the comma ray, the auras that the cruiser have is, 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 is the first thing that we've tried. We were going to try to do an armor slot, um, for math reasons that I don't really want to get into full details to, it just just didn't really work out. It's there. It's just, it, we may try to still do it in the future. Um, part of the problem with that is that we've already got armor console mods, and so we'd have to find a way to convert those. We'd want to get them out of the consoles and put put that. We don't want to have damage resistance coming from armor and damage resistance coming from consoles, and it was just doesn't math doesn't add up really good. Um, I'd, I'd want to. I wish I could just. Change, change that. Take everyone's consoles and change them into convert them into four of their consoles into one piece of armor, and it's just going to be trouble. But we're going to try to do that eventually. So instead, we went with this kind of aura and kind of gameplay where people want to hang out with the with the cruisers, and it allowed cruisers to be use a stance effectively. What did they want to be? That they want to increase their output damage, but for their for their beam arrays, and, and that and that that's. Their resistance to power drain is more effective with beams than it would be ever for cannons, so it increases the damage output of cruisers without significantly in increasing the damage output of, of cannons on escorts. Um, or do they want to increase their tankiness with their shields, which is something that everyone can benefit from, so I want to be by the escort, because even though I'm, 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 I'm going to be by the cruisers, so I'm the escort, I'm going to get some more defense from them, and he's still the main tank. Um, and uh, so I have to stay next. But if you're close to someone, you're putting some risk for AOEs, right? That's the whole point. There's a risk-reward. And, of course, in the other aura is a maneuverability escort, which benefits all the big ships. doesn't really benefit the small ships. Um, and then, of course, then the last aura, which people haven't seen, is the taunt aura, which increases the caster's haunting, increases the, the, caster, the caster's threat while decreasing everyone else's threat who's also in that aura. And yeah, if we on the taunt yet. I know it's not live yet, but somebody was wondering if that's going to also mess with your damage resistance that you get usually from a, from a threat control standpoint. It's, it's not going effect? to modify your damage resistance in any way. If you, if it's not going to re, it doesn't reduce any damage resistance. I do believe, and I'm not 100% positive because I can't recover at this point, that when you activate the taunt aura, your damage resistance does go up slightly as well. Um, so I, I, think that, I think that is true, but for the life of me, I can't recall where we landed on that decision. Um, so people that have specced into threat control on their character, they're still going to get the benefits of the damage resistances, like, say, mm -hmm. from those AOE attacks that might come in, um, but they're not yes. going to... Yeah, okay. All right. Well, no, I mean, ba bottom line, if, you, if, if, if you've got a character who has, threat, has a lot of points in threat control, that means that they generate a lot of threat and they have some damage resistance. If another character comes next to them and activates their, their threat aura, okay, then then you're going to reduce the threat of all the characters in that aura, including someone who has threat control, so they will lose some threat, but they're not going to lose any damage resistance. So um, I don't know which one is more powerful off the top of my head, whether or not if max threat control or the aura is more threatening. I, I'm going to say the aura is more threatening, but I, I, I honestly don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head. But it won't reduce damage resistance. They're not tied that way. So we uh, the escorts you'd like to nerf a little bit, but aren't, probably aren't going to for practical reasons. The cruisers got their new little toy. They got the or the auras going now. Now the science ships. We're gonna we're gonna have something there for them on season eight. Yeah, no, not for season eight. Um, the eventually what will happen is uh, once we get the auras where we're happy, we'll actually introduce probably a comma ray item that will allow you to modify your auras. Um, whether or not you'll make them better or change them or add other abilities to those auras um, is basically what those comma rays will do. And then for science vessels, um, what's always the thought of always been is to do, add a um, secondary deflector item for science vessels, which will probably come in three flavors of like a healing uh, science science deflector, uh, a buffing debuffing science deflector, and a control science deflector. And basically, the the current thought is, although it's very early and we haven't, it's nothing more than pen on paper at this point, is that those auras will 
kind of work a little like duty officers uh, of active abilities in that they will they will modify a certain school like healing or or control they'll modify those uh, um, those abilities on your science vessels and make them better probably adding a lot of adding some DPS to those abilities like adding more damage adding damage to a Tycan thrift or adding damage to a tractor beam that kind of thing so uh, adding shield drain to a photonic shockwave or something like that giving some more uh, offensive capabilities or more or, or more utility abilities and making all those science abilities just generally better but only in one particular school of science abilities so it's not like everything so I'm gonna I have a healing secondary deflector so all my healing abilities are better in a particular way. Um, so I don't have any full details on that, but that's basically the current thought for uh, for for science vessels. Um, the other thing that we might do to try to uh, try to address more balance issues is that eventually we want to um, at least in some form raise the level cap in Star Trek Online, and in doing so, um, we can probably start uh, addressing and tuning things to kind of. St- know kind of steer everything into more of the direction that we wanted to maybe either more of a trinity and kind of or more of a and more of a uh, so people can get more hyper specialized or more uh, or address the balance issues so so that escort dps maybe doesn't go up as much the other ships keep more pace with the escorts at, at higher level so that's probably our best opportunity to try to address those issues let me ask let me pose this question with regard to the holy trinity could it also be with respect to the mission objectives and the enemies as well, that perhaps you know it's it, it requires a science officer to complete this objective, or only a science ability can weaken this enemy. Um, you know, we've had the discussion, and I know James is very adamantly somewhat opposed to this about requiring it, where you can get you know where you need a science officer, an engineer, or a tactical to complete a certain objective in a mission, whether in space, whether in ground. And perhaps, you know, we had this in the featured episode where you were rewarded with an accolade, but what if it's, it's in order to complete the mission, you need to have this group? Um, I'm not a big fan of requiring that you have to have a certain class of ship in order, to, you know, that it's a requirement to, to complete an objective. I am a fan of saying that if you have this class of ship, that you can do something different or do something easier if you have this class of ship. Say, for instance... There's some map objective that you need the science vessel to, to either directly interact with it or you need a science power in order to activate something which would do something that would, I don't know, that would fire off a, you know, a tachyon inversion and just take, take down all the enemy's shields or something like that. I just made that up. I don't know what I'm talking about. So, um, and only a science vessel could do that. So, but you still could complete the objective. It just might be more difficult without that science vessel. So I'm a big fan of doing that. And we're trying. We're, we're starting to sneak a little bit more. Actually, Jesse Heinig has been trying to do a little bit more of that in the Space Adventure Zone, where there's some things that if you, but it's 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 a little more subtle right now. Where if you can, like, for instance, if you activate a gravity well on something, or you activate this healing on something, that you'll you'll get something out of it. It's not super important to complete right now, but it's it adds it adds some flavor. That oh, I I just can't do this because I don't have that power. I don't have. I couldn't even possibly have this power on this ship. Oh, that's the, a the, hidden Easter egg in the space adventure zone. Then, yeah, there's. I think there's. I think he's made some objectives that you know you could cast this power on something and you'll be able and you'll complete it in a different way or complete it better or get some more benefit out of that. The problem is, is that that is not a sustainable model in order to address the you know, the classes issue. It's just not. It's it. It relies on content, which means that every time we do content, we have to do something like that and perhaps retrofit old content. Really, this is a problem that needs to be solved at the systems level that systematically just kind of addresses across all content across the game. Not to say that we still won't and should do class-based, class-based objectives in a, in a mission, but I don't think we would ever require you to have something. I don't think that Star Trek Online is the game for that. We want to make it. I don't think that's... I think that goes against our our mantra of keeping things accessible, keeping things more uh, uh, accessible for for more average users who just can't understand or frustrated that they can't do something themselves. Um, so so, but I'm perfectly fine with making it giving you something better if you do something right. I don't know where James fell on the on the on the on the threshold for that, but he should be here if he wants to defend his point. 
You're right. He should. <laughs> yeah, his straight. his whole thing was, you know, I only have ten minutes to play because then after I have to go ride my bike up to North California and pick apples, and so I can't, you know, I can't be waiting for people to to join my team. And I'm like, dude, you know, that it's in so, in some MMOs it requires that you have to go into zone chat and ask. Uh, I need a science officer, please. Can somebody team up with me? And that's something that I do know that. Star Trek Online doesn't necessarily have. Zone chat is, sometimes you can go your entire gameplay with ignoring zone chat. And I would love to see that type of something. Something that, that just, okay, maybe the, the, right, the right word is not forced, but something that in, encouraged me to seek out players that I may not have met before. You know, that I might go into zone chat and say, I need a science officer to get through this dungeon uh, and, and finish this the subjective may be easier, maybe as a requirement of the mission, one way or another. Um, yeah, I think that my personal thoughts on that is, is is not making it a requirement. So either a having some objectives that will allow you to say, hey, we can, you know, if we have a science officer or a science vessel, we can we can kick off this tacking version. We can't do it without one, and that would be a really good thing for this mission. Um, but I still don't think that is, that's just not sustainable solution for. For, uh, for content to be solving that problem. It really needs to be solved at the systems level, at the core of the ships, that the ships, you know, that we, that we try to, that make it much more natural. I mean, that's not something that typically, in, 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 in other MMOs, like City of Heroes or other traditional MMOs, you want that tank, you want that DPS, and you want that controller for those reasons. I think you're seeing, in general, a lot of MMOs move away from that. There's, there was even a recent article on on massively online, whether or not controllers are a class that are just going away um, because of their hyper specialization, but I do think that there still is room for for polarizing our ship classes to make them a little bit more more traditional Holy Trinity. So that way, yeah, we this and then the content going forward, uh, specifically if we increase the level of our content, does really need a tank. And does really need a healer, so, uh, or a support vessel, um, and and I think we could probably try to steer it that way. I don't know if I don't know if Star Trek ever will be that traditional, but I do think that we could get closer to it. I'd like to hear about how we're going to fly around inside a big gigantic spaceship, i.e., the vault from back in uh, the Romulan feature episode. Yeah, the vault has nothing on our season eight Both Fortress event, we'll say. I think you can actually fit like multiple vaults inside of this adventure zone. So there's um, one of the pieces of content, one of the events that are available inside Season 8 is an assault on a Voth um, fortress ship. And we're calling it a fortress ship because, you know, if you watch Distant Origin on Voyager, there's a Voth city ship which beams Voyager inside itself. You know, it, it just it's so big that Voyager just fits inside and they just they, they lock a tractor beam on Voyager and beam it, transport it inside their ship when they, where they capture them. So that was the inspiration for this is well, we've got to do that. But... The uh, the Voth city ship is is big and and it's actually the dreadnought in our in our game but it's uh, it's and you can look at it like it's bigger you know it's longer than a board cube but it's um but it wasn't big enough for what we wanted so we built this massive fortress ship that's just this huge I mean you know it dwarfs anything that we have in the game right it's huge and you will do an assault against this uh, giant ship it's a cute event. And you'll have to you'll have to weaken its defenses from the outside, um, and there'll be other ships that will be that you'll be, that you'll be fighting. And eventually, you'll once you've weakened defenses, you'll be able to blow a hole in the side of the ship and bring your bring your uh, bring your team in there, and you'll and you'll fly through the inside of the ship uh, until you can get uh, you know fighting off its defenses. And then you'll find there's all these interesting interior events there's there's one there's this one kind of like ship hangar bay inside the ship and so there'll be other dreadnoughts parked inside this ship um it's just that big there's just there's dreadnoughts inside and you'll fly through that and you'll eventually get to the power core and you'll have to destroy the power core and and escape before the ship uh blows up on you so, so am I it's uh, Falcon as I'm doing it's it? pod, it's just pod racing dude it's what <laughs> <laughs> 
man, I'm Lando Calrissian, man. I got that guy with yeah. the flaps next to me, and he's yeah. looking blood, and I'm flying through the. You know, I, I'm sure that all the trench run Death Star, uh, Star Wars analogies will be coming up out of nowhere. But the, honestly, the funny, funny thing is, is that it honestly never started from that. It was never the intention. It was always, always based. Yeah, we've you got you can fly inside the ship. I mean, the ship is huge inside uh, in Voyager, and so we've got to bring that experience. I mean, you're bringing the Voth. We've got to bring this epic size scale of their ships. And so it just, uh, you know, as we're building, it's like, hey, this feels like a trench run on Death Star. It says, yeah, I guess it is. And it's like, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's a, the, the, the warp core in the center, the core, the power core is just basically a boss monster that's got all these automated defenses. And it's a really interesting battle with all these kind of power beams that are flying out and draining your, draining your ship of power and other ships are coming to fight you. So... And all these shields that turn on and off that you have to get between in order to shoot the ship. So it's a really, it's a really, there's really big challenge, and it's a really long event. It's like it's, it's 30 minutes at least to get through. So it's a really big challenge. And there's these moving parts inside the ship, like these giant pistons that are closing. And why do you build ships like this? It's very gal- little Galaxy Quest kind of thing. No, it's it's uh it's it's just re- the scale is just really epic. And so it's uh, it's that's one of the you know the, the most the biggest and craziest piece of space content that we've ever made. And so this is our this is our step in direction for us to actually make V'ger one day. If you actually look at the scale of the ship, like you know how you've seen like those those maps and the uh, ships from all science fiction, the sizes of them, the ship is actually uh, about the size of V'ger. It's just it's that big. It's huge. Oh, cool. It's pretty epic. In season eight, what do fleets have to look forward to uh, working together as a team? What sort of fleet holdings are we looking at, if at all? Sure. So fictionally, what's going on is um, I, I won't get too much into the fiction story, but one of the inside this the uh, the Dyson sphere, there's these there's these giant spires um, that uh, um, that I, I might as well just go ahead and say that they basically are. Are generating uh, uh, omega particles because I, I think there's probably an article coming out to the web really soon mentioning a little bit of the details of that. And basically, the Voth want it, and you need to stop the Voth from getting it. And so, one of the PVE cues that one of the cute events you can do in season eight is assault a spire. So, the, the Voth own one of these spires, and you're going into to attack it. And it, that's currently on. It's currently on uh, on Tribble, so if you have access to Tribble, you can you can play that event, and so you are you're st- you're, you're trying to stop them from bringing re- bringing cargo vessels to there, and you're trying to assault it and take the spire over. So fictionally, what's happening is that there's thousands or millions of these spires inside the Dyson sphere, and the the fleets are 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 capturing them. So fictionally, what happens is you capture one, and so that's how players' fleets get access to a spire. You don't actually have to do one of these events to get one for your uh, to get one for your fleet. You just automatically will have access to one. But fictionally, it's because you know the the allied forces have ta- have started to take control of these, and so you will have uh, a spire. The map is amazing because it's really it's got this kind of cloud city thing going on. Once you once you open the portal windows for it, you can walk out in the balcony and then look down on the planet surface below because it's you know it's attached to the interior of the spire, but you're up in basically in space. Or in the ionosphere, probably is what we're assuming. So it's a it's a fleet holding that's got probably the most magnificent interiors that I've ever seen for a for a fleet holding. And along with that, there are uh, you know a number of loot items that will that will unlock. And I'm starting to kind of cloud in my head what's in the rep system and what's in the fleet system. I think there is um, there's some new warp cores that some people have been asking for that are in this that you can unlock in the spire, as well as you will unlock access to new ships, including, I think there is a fleet version of the Aatrox, a fleet version of, what's on the Klingon side? That's new. There's a new fleet version of something on the Klingon side that wasn't, I didn't have access to. Well, the veteran ships will also, it will go, that's for everyone. So there'll be a fleet, the fleet Chimera and all the fleet, there'll be fleet vet ships. You will still need to have access to a veteran ship. You can't, if you don't have access to the vet ship, you won't be able to get the fleet version of the veteran ships, but you will be able to now get the fleet versions in, uh, in, in this holding. But for some reason, I've completely blanked on which ship on the Klingon side. But on the for, on the Romulan side, the fleets, um, Arkeef is unlocked in here. People wondered why we didn't release a fleet version of the Arkeef and release it because it's in the Spire holding. This is where you'll be able to get your fleet Arkeef. And on the Klingon side, something that we didn't release before, and I'm sorry, I apologize to the Klingon, I didn't wear my ridges today, which is the Klingon sh- ship that will uh, um, that is unlocked on that side. Now, I want to, is it the, it might be the, the Carfee? 
a fleet car fee, perhaps. And then there's something related to the featured episode. The ship that's in the featured episode, something related to it will be unlocked in here as well. So for that ship. They have some hangar pet of some kind? Um, uh, yeah, probably hangar pet, but, you know, kind of something like what we did with the Odyssey, where the Odyssey, remember the Odyssey, you could get for free from the, from the featured, from the, from the anniversary event. And then after the anniversary event, it was gone. But then you could buy the fleet Odyssey, and you could buy the, 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 you could buy the Odyssey pack from the sea store, but not the old Odyssey. Um, but you could, so there was no way to get the old Odyssey, but you could now get the old Odyssey in the fleet store. So basically, whatever ship we give away in the featured episode, you'll have to, if you don't get it for free, then you'll be able to get it from the, you'll be able to get that base version from the, uh, okay. from, from the fleet. Something like that. <clears throat> I'm really curious to know what you're doing to the Chimera in the fleet version. Can you tell me? Oh, it's uh, nothing no, nothing uh, crazy. It's the same that happens with all fleet version ships. You just get a tenth console and 10% more shields and 10% more hit points. That's, that, that's the model for fleet ships. They don't get the console. They don't get the special ability. Uh, in this case, we probably could just throw it on there because if you're, if you're a veteran, you've got, you have it for free anyway. But typically, when we make a fleet ver- version of the ship, it, just, it's, uh, it may or may not have a new skin for the fleet version. It won't have a new skin, but sometimes we put a new skin on the fleet ships if we have the resources for it. And then we add 10% more shields, 10% more hit points, and then a, fifth, a tenth console somewhere. So, wow, that's going to make the Chimera pretty strong. It's going to make the Chimera really strong, so um, that'll be a really nice ship for veterans. And so I'm not sure where that 10th console goes. I really have no idea. I can't remember for the life of me at all where, where that 10th console is. But um, whether it's, a, it's in tactical or not, I, I don't remember. So you need to have the Chimera vet ship now in order to get... You don't get... need to have the Chimera vet ship, but you'll need to qualify for it. Okay, so it does. you do need to qualify for these ships in the fleet holding. Yeah, so you have to be either a lifetime member or a thousand days subscriber. All right, so how about the Cavort? Um, the Cavort, it's just a big Burrell, right? Yes. So I'm not going to make a Negvar-sized Burrell. If you look up the Burrell, the sizes of the Burrell, and then just, they're just all over the places. They were never consistent. So the, 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 what, we, the, what we decided to take out of that for 2409 is that you start with the Burrell, and then you get bigger and bigger birds of prey at Tier 5 that get bigger and bigger Making a raider that huge, just I wouldn't be able to just I wouldn't be able to uh, justify a barrel uh, a raider turn rate for a ship that big. So no, whether or not we'll call something a cavort, maybe, but um, the uh, there's a tier five barrel that you can get, and that's that's you could call it a cavort if you want, but it's not. Whatever happened with that big mess and scaling size? So that was more of an answer than you needed. So no actual cavort, no giant negvar sized. Burrell. Uh, how about the Fleet Dekir? Um, Fleet Dekir. Um, I'm surprised we haven't released that yet. So, uh, yes, we'll, we'll eventually make a Fleet Dekir. Fleet Garumba? Um, absolutely. We'll absolutely release a Fleet Garumba when we release the, uh, at the same time that we release a Fleet uh, Galaxy Dreadnought. Fleet Marauder? Yes. It may even be the one that's in the holding. I'm not, I can't remember. So, yes. That, that will come. Barassan ship? I want to. So maybe. We'll have to see. Really what it comes down to is that, you know, I, I could probably release a kit-bashed version of the Aatrox. So it's just just slightly different version of that for the Ferocin, different colors, a couple different, couple different skins to it. I don't know if that's good enough for, for the Ferocins. If we had to make a, a, a straight-up one uh, from scratch, probably wouldn't happen for a while. Bottom line is, is that I want to make new ships for, for Klingons. They, even though we have more Klingon players now playing than ever before, still don't sell a lot of Klingon ships, and they're so expensive to make. So if I'm going to make Klingon ships, I'm going to actually probably st- a new Klingon ships. I'm going to st- focus on on actual Klingon, you know, Klingon ships as opposed to allied race ships. Because probably one of your questions will be a Lethian ship, which would be less likely. How about a Tier Five or a Fleet Exeter? Uh, that is that some sort of compromise instead of getting a tier five Connie? I think you so. You hear it that way. Yes, yeah, you get that's, that's, that's what I'm hearing. So no, okay. I don't think so. No, 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 Exeter, no Connie. <laughs> Stop asking. <laughs> a I'll never say never, but I'll say no. But that's as close to never as I. I don't like to say promise or never. But, but Founders no. of the Federation ship pack. Uh, yeah, that's something that I that that I've wanted to do. A uh, Tellarite Andorian Vulcan 
ship pack, uh, ship bundle, three ship bundle there. It probably will happen within the... Uh, yeah, that, 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 is, that is likely to happen sometime. Norway class? <sighs> Maybe. We have the Oslo, which was our attempt to kind of 2409 it. And then we had the uh, the Zephyr, which was... That's also... Both of those are just skins within the Akira. That was... And the Zephyr was supposed to be kind of like the Steam Runner. And then we went ahead and, and released the Steam Runner, partly because Steam wanted a special ship. And so it made sense to give them a Steam Runner. Would we actually do a Norway? It's it's actually kind of a cool ship. And I, I perhaps do a, 24, a real 2409 Norway. I think it's a good possibility, but there's no immediate plans for it. Constellation. I would probably put that in the same category as Norway. I think it's it's one of the only IP ships left that 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 really think that really belongs in the game. I think it belongs in the game more than the Norway because it was Picard's first ship, and if I was to release it, it would come with the Picard maneuver. It's just such a low tier ship. I I would have a real hard time justify making it as a as a uh, tier five ship, though it's such an old beater. It looks like such a beater, man. It's so. We might make it one day because I don't think it would be that hard to make with the parts that we have. Um, we're getting a third ship artist now, which we're real excited about. So we may be able to start doing some of these, like, not high-priority projects, but, like, I don't think we're, you know, it's not that we're going to gang, sell gangbusters of it, right? And so it's kind of hard to justify. Do we spend 15 to 20 days on making that or 15 to 20 days on some, on, you know, an Avenger I want to take this time to pull this card on you. Al, yesterday was my birthday. What exclusives can you give us here on Priority One Podcast with uh, Season 8 coming right <laughs> around the corner? You're asking for an exclusive birth for your birthday present. I, for, I was going to tell you I was going to tell you happy birthday, and I completely forgot, so I apologize. Happy That's all right. Thank you. So, thank so you. What kind of uh, you're going to pull the birthday card? Let's see. What can I what can I sneak for you? Can't really think of anything. Like we've already spoiled a lot of stuff. We talked about the Omega particles, and we talked about talked about all the content that's coming out. So I'll tell you this then. Uh, something that Tony asked for. And this, this, this is this is this is the best that I can do um, for uh, the next episode that you guys should be watching. Since you watched Distant Origin, since you watched Relics, um, and what was the other one you watched? Uh, Distant Origin and the Omega Directive. And Omega Directive, yes. The fourth episode you should watch is Schisms. Ah, uh, okay. Ah, okay. All right. Okay. That's a huge birthday present. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right al well thank you so very much we uh we very much appreciate that awesome little exclusive i'm sure people are gonna jump uh, netflix will see a big spike big in spike and schism <laughs> spike and kind of start and, and you know what you should check uh, along with that if you check out memory alpha there's some stuff on the bottom like director's notes about what they were thinking about that episode that's too many breadcrumbs too many breadcrumbs okay. all right al well thank you again so very much for joining us for three hours of awesome trek talk uh and star trek online as always we love having you on the show and and if we can have you more often we most certainly would oh it's just it just flew by there's 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 so much so much has happened and so much is still going to keep happening so um i i would have liked to come on earlier but you know you know how it is they like to keep things quiet and so I'm glad I'm able to come out here and talk more with you guys. Um, hopefully, maybe I can make this a little come out again sooner after season eight goes live and the story is out, and we can kind of uh, dissect it and see what you guys think. Oh yeah! All right. All right, Al. Thank you so very much. Thank you, captains. That concludes Priority One Podcasts interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Don't miss future episodes and interviews with Star Trek notables and cryptic developers by subscribing to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. 